WGR Sports Radio 550 presents. What's the one thing I'm really, really good at? Bad food takes? Complaint. The elite complainer right here. Sports Talk Saturday. What is it that Western New York is trying to be famous for? Chicken wings, smashing tables, and complaining? They've got one core job, and it's to make coffee well. Not even good, just well. On WGR. This is my first opportunity to drink a coffee, and now I'm disappointed. Sports Radio 550. That's too hot. I I have a coffee here that I'm going to drink, and I will I'll, I'll rate later, I guess. <clears throat> Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk Saturday. Nate Geary, Derek Kramer, we're hanging out with you for the next couple of hours on your small business Saturday. Maybe you're driving around because you're certainly not walking because it's a winter wonderland outside, and it's five degrees, and I hate it. Man, it's like I picked the right open here today. Yeah, no, the complaining thing, that is that is <laughs> my brand, uh, and I'm sticking to it. I, why change now? Why change in the middle of – I'm about to be 30, Derek, so it's almost over for me anyways. I, I mean, yeah, I'm not going to tell you that being 30 is a good thing. No, no, It's in fact, it's it's a bad thing. On, on the wrong side of it, I can definitely tell you that it, it, it's going to go downhill from here. Have fun. Yeah, you know, speaking of downhill, um, you know, I'm I'm of the mind. I, I, I Maybe I'm being overly negative about this whole Trey White news, but oh, well, uh, the, 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 train, the Trey White news uh, has hit me and others um, pretty hard. Um, you know, the All-Pro, the Pro Bowler, First round pick, um, one of the best corners in all the league, um, goes down and 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 is what has just been kind of a weird and unlucky and non magical run this year. Like last year, it, it, the 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 Bill season had this sort of magic to it. It had this sort of um, I don't know feel to it that this season early on may have started to feel like. And then, you know, the, the Jaguars game happens, and then you're starting to wonder, okay, like, is that magic still here? And, you know, you talk about one-score games a lot in the NFL. And it's one of the easiest ways to try to determine. If you want to try to figure out which good team will be bad next year or which team with double-digit wins is a candidate to drop into the single-digit win category and go from first to worst. You, t- you tend to look at one-score games. And the Bills last season had seven ones, wins in seven one-score games. And so far this year, they've won. And they have lost several of those one-score games. So they, instead of winning those games this year, they are losing them. And now your margin for error just got... I mean, it shrunk notably uh, with the loss of Trey White. Like, your ability to... Have a bad play, have a bad down, have a bad defensive series. Um, it it has shrunk incredibly, and I know people don't want to hear me say like, "Oh, the season's over for the Bills." And listen, your your opinion, you're allowed to think whatever you want. You can believe that they're going to be able to replace a corner that is top five in passer rating against. I have major reservations about whether this team's going to be able to overcome the loss of Trey White. I don't believe they will. So for me, I look at the Super Bowl season of this year, the the expectation of getting to the Super Bowl. That's out for me. So is that the season's over and the empire is falling? No, I don't believe so. 
they still have six games left, and they've got a really important one this upcoming Monday night. Not this Monday night, but the following Monday night against the Patriots. So two matchups against the Patriots. And they can win those football games. And they can still win those football games. And I will tell you that I don't think they have a chance to win the Super Bowl without Trey White. Here's the good news on this. And this is the other side of the coin, Nate, because I like to try to be Mr. Happy Sunshine Guy. And it's this. Who do you trust in the entire conference? Thank you. Uh, at this point, probably Kansas City. I think Kansas with, City. With how pedestrian Mahomes has been? Yeah, he'll he'll you, he'll figure it out. Would be my you, guess. I I'm here's what I'm banking on. I'm banking on the really good quarterback to figure out a way to get really good again. In a season where he's got all the same weapons, he's got an improved offensive line, he got Clyde Edwards-Alaire back, their defense is starting to play well. That's really why Kansas City, to me, has fallen back into the contender of this conference. The defense. They are playing much, much better. And it's not just against Houston and the Jets. Like, they're playing good against good teams. So Yes, but the offense is not doing this. No, it's not. But at the end of the day... I will take the players, right? I'll take Tyreek Hill. I'll take Travis Kelsey. I'll take Patrick Mahomes. And in a matchup against that offense, without Trey White, I have major reservations on whether or not the Bills can replicate what they did in week four or whatever it was. Now, the big thing is that the playbook is out that you can beat Mahomes if you can get four players of a pass rush to him. Sure. Uh, that's that. That's the that's the recipe to beat every good quarterback ever. I know. It's just more or less like we've seen it, though, this year. He has been mortal. So it's, again, turning into who do you trust really? The fact that Kansas City's back in that conversation after not even being in the playoff picture for half the season at this point kind of allows me to think the one thing, the one thing that I could take a positive out of this with the Bills coming out of this without Trey White for the rest of the season is I still don't trust anybody no I, but this isn't about trust i i don't i haven't lost like, trust who, in the bills roster no, I'm, I'm just saying, telling like, you trust, that trust in who's going to the super bowl honestly throw a quarter at whoever you want put a bet down but on you whoever you will, want you might have a chance you will know more by the end of this month by the end of december you will you will have a take by the end of december right a take maybe but you you will have confidence in someone by the end of the month because typically in the nfl regardless of there is no power player in this year's group but December typically reveals the real contenders and in in a year where there might be five contenders two of them will surface will arise over the next five weeks and more than likely I'll tell you from my position that it'll be the Patriots and it'll be the Chiefs I'm gonna that'll be the two teams that I look at as the two teams that I believe will probably be representing the AFC you know, I have in someone, the AFC championship I have someone game. training here today and I might have him come in hey. on, my, on my instructions for you saying that the Patriots might emerge as a contender. Listen, I might go ahead and say Zach, go in there and smack Nate on the back of the head. I am How dare you? I am saying the things that nobody wants to say and that's okay. That's my job. My job is to tell people things they think in the back of their mind but don't have the ability or the the uh, you know, the strength to say out loud. But I digress. I'm going to take uh, a quick diversion break away from talking about the Bills. We'll have 
literally all afternoon to do that. I've got Matt Perino coming up at 11.30, John Scott, Spectrum News coming up at 12.30, uh, I'm sorry, at 12, then at 1, or I'm sorry, then at 12.30, Matt Verderam, and then 1 o'clock, uh, I will have Ben Baby of ESPN. He covers the Bengals. We'll talk about another AFC contending team um, in the Cincinnati Bengals. Before we do that, though, I want to go to the Western Hotline because I believe we do have Mr. Paul Hamilton ready. Is he, is he on the Western Hotline? All right, let's, let's go to the Western Hotline and bring uh, Paul Hamilton on. First and foremost, well, I've got two pretty random starts here. First and foremost, uh, Paul, happy Thanksgiving. Hopefully the, the holiday went well for you and um, you did not eat as much pie as I did because I ate a whole pecan pie over about 48 hours and I have no regrets about it. I actually had a very unique Thanksgiving. Our old friends Greg and Tracy Bauk had me over and it wasn't your traditional Thanksgiving. We were drinking um, rum chata and mm. cinnamon whiskey and eating frozen pizza. So you're telling me that so, Greg Bauk does we had, not... We, we had a great time. It was a riot. <laughs> so you're telling me that Greg Bauk does not subscribe to the modern-day Thanksgiving. Color me shocked, Paul. Color me shocked that that uh, that Greg Bauk does not... Yeah, we, we watched the football game, and it was it was a great time. I had a, And I didn't realize that's what, what was on the agenda, so it was kind of a surprise, which made it even, even better. Even better, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. You know what else has been a surprise to me a little bit, Paul, um, is just how bad the Montreal Canadiens are. And that, like, <laughs> we should start there because this is a team that I know. And, and listen, no carry price. I mean, that would hurt a lot of teams. Um, but this much, I, I know there's a lot at play here. I, I was hoping you would, in a few words, try to explain to me and other people, like I'm five years old, what the heck is going on with that team? Because they are, they're the worst team in the league right now. I mean, short of Arizona. I mean, Arizona's really bad, but they are they are broaching Arizona territory. It actually is pretty simple. It's Carey Price and Shea Weber, because Shea Weber was great for them last year, put in a lot of minutes, even injured last year in the playoffs. He was just great for them. And when you get that kind of a goaltending goal that they got in the playoffs, that got them through. And it was interesting, when they finally started to falter is when Carey Price wasn't as good. He did falter a little bit, and all of a sudden, hey, wow, they, they, they can't do it anymore. And it was it, it was simply that. And they would get some timely goals, too. I mean, uh, Cole Caulfield really stepped up in the playoffs where so far in the regular season here in his rookie year – you know he was, you know he was in the playoffs and hadn't had a rookie year yet. You know it hadn't gone well. It went so bad he went to the minors, and I didn't notice him last night to be quite honest with you. And you know so that's been the biggest thing for them uh, is just you lose a guy like Carey Price who absolutely carried you, and then you lose Shea Weber too, who by the way probably will never play hockey again. That's how badly he's injured. Um, they just couldn't recover from it, uh, and I don't want to say they were lucky last year, but again, when you get that type of goaltending, mm -hmm. and uh, you know that's that's what happens. You can get hot in the playoffs when really you looked at it, they were what? Well, they were ranked 16th as the playoff team. They were actually ranked 18th in the NHL, but since the Canadian division, you know, went the way it did, you wound up with you know, the 16th seed, but you were actually ranked 18th in the NHL, and they just got hot at the right time. And so I'm not surprised, really, that they're where they're at, uh, and uh, especially since they haven't had price. I mean, Jake Allen's a pretty good goalie, but he's he's not Carey Price. No, he is not. Uh, n not many are, by the way. Um, but I, it's you know I watched that game yesterday, and in the first two periods, and then in periods two and three, Paul – 
watching this Sabres team sort of flip the script that has been the last, what, 10 days or so, which is, okay, the Sabres, they're getting out to a nice start, second period comes along, they're still in it, and then the third period, they go into their shell. And that was a very, very different scenario that played out last night against Montreal. And I I guess you and I will just continue, we'll just call this the Tage Thompson show from now on, um, because I, every time you come on the show on Saturday morning, my first you know handful of questions is, what what the heck is going on with Tage Thompson and this ascension? And my, my question last week was around his ascension in his game, and then since then, Paul, he's got six points in his last four games, um, and, and uh, five goals. I, I guess part of the story has to be the guys that he's playing with as well, Paul, because when you look at a young player, part of what you have to look at is, is he making the players around him better, especially at the center position? And Victor Olofsson has turned into a hockey player, not a specialist. And you look at Jeff Skinner and the two assists that he has last night, the second one, maybe most notably, his turning into a playmaker and a guy that can feed other guys and get other guys opportunities. And that has not been what I have noticed about Jeff Skinner's game since he's coming to Buffalo. So I, I guess the question here, Paul, is on top of just his scoring, what is he doing that's opening things up for his line mates to do things that maybe none of us thought that they could do or would do at a high level? Skinner, by the way, I thought had his best game in three years. Short of that turnover. Right, that turnover was it. I agree. The turnover, and I said to Brian last night, it wasn't the type of play where he didn't hustle or he didn't get back to the defensive zone or he allowed himself to get overwhelmed on the wall and, you know, didn't put enough effort in. He did put effort in and he got the puck and it just sometimes happens. He fanned on his pass. You know, he went to pass the puck, and he fanned on. I'm not going to jump him for that. I'm not going to criticize him for that. It just happened. It it wasn't from lack of effort. It wasn't from lack of hustle. He just fanned. And and, and there was no way, really, Tukarski could bail him out because Anderson got the puck and it was in the net. So you just throw your arms up and say, oh, well, bad luck, move on. And he did move on. I mean, there was a defensive play he made later in the game. The Canadians, it was in the third period, were, were dangerous coming in. and the, They were going to get a really good scoring opportunity. He busted butt back and got back and broke it up. And I thought, whoa. whoa. <laughs> I mean, usually we're talking about his offensive skills, but you know, look at how hard he came back defensively to break up that play. I, I just thought he, he was really, really good in, in a lot of the things that he did. Uh, you know, the first Thompson goal. Thompson gets in on the forecheck. You know, you can talk about what he did without the puck. All right, he got in on the forecheck, forced the guy to Skinner, who got in there also on the forecheck and caused the turnover. Well, what does Thompson do? He doesn't quit on the play. He just quickly goes from the wall to the slot, get makes himself available, and after uh, Skinner causes the turnover, he gets it to Olison to Thompson, and he winds up with the goal. And it's just keeping the play going, keeping himself going. He keeps himself engaged now in what he's doing. And, and you know, that's the biggest thing. What, eight goals in ten games? I mean, last time we talked, we were talking, well, this guy's on a 33-goal pace. Well, now he's on a 40-goal pace, you know, and, and only needs 15 more to get to 25, which is a number I've talked about for him for a couple of years yeah. now that I think he had that in him, but I was always wondering, will it come out? You know, that, that that talent is there, but will it come out? 
and just Granado recognizing that you you look at him on the wall and it, it it hindered him because teams would use the wall as a defenseman on him. You would only have to come at him at one angle because the other angle was covered by the wall. So that now you've cut him off for what he wants to do. When Granado, what he was thinking was, if I put him in the middle, he's got a left option, he's got a right option, he has a lot of options, and which is what he needs to be a better player. I don't know if a lot of coaches would have recognized that and say, I'm going to put a guy in the NHL at center who played very little center at UConn mm-hmm. and really hasn't been a regular center since he was a kid. I don't think many coaches would have thought, yeah, yeah that's the way to go. And Granado's not afraid to try that kind of stuff. We've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And he called him in midsummer and said, hey, Tage, I may try at center in training camp. Be ready. <laughs> and he did. And look look what happened. I mean, it, it's turned out that's his position in the National Hockey League. But that's why. It gives him the freedom now to be able to execute all his skills by being in the middle and having all those options available to him. Paul, uh, yesterday, uh, Brett Murray gets called up from Rochester uh, as the team plays Drake Kajula on injury reserve. And um, I, I found myself, I, listen, Murray's a big guy out there. He's noticeable like Tage. I mean, he's 6'5", uh, running almost 230. Um, I, I thought he played pretty well yesterday in, in his opportunity to get up. And, and obviously, no Roostalainen. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, you know, with, with the recall of Murray, what that means for Roostalainen, who is still... I. I, I know we talked about this last week that he's had this opportunity in the lineup to, you know, maybe prove that he's an everyday NHL player, and he's yet to really grab that opportunity and getting kind of subbed in for a guy that gets called up from the Amherst probably isn't a great sign for him and sort of what they're trying to do with the roster, especially as guys get healthy here. Well, I think they like Murray's size, and in nine games he had six goals for Rochester. Last year he had 20 points in 27 games. And I think they just like his development and they like the size. How he didn't get his first NHL goal last I night. know. <laughs> I, I mean, it was Oposo's behind the net. It forces the goaltender into a turnover. Montembo's trying to scramble the back in, and he wasn't back in the net yet. And so it was just the whole net, and Murray just misfired on it, kind of like Skinner did when he tried that pass. Murray misfired on his shot. It hit the post, came back to the goaltender, Matembo, and then all of a sudden he had it under him, and he couldn't he couldn't get it out. And I said, oh, man, that kid, how did he not get his first NHL goal there? Um, and, and he had a key play, too, where he in the second period he wound up with that four-minute high sticking, and – you know, Eakin had just scored three minutes before uh, on that goal. And then you're thinking, okay, are they in trouble? What's going to happen here? It's You just you just got that goal by Eakin, you know, and, and now what's going to happen? You've got your two-to-one lead. And right off the bat, Haig, who is a very good – this isn't talked about enough. He's a very good shot blocker. I mean, he, he blocked a shot point blank. And then Tukarski made a huge save on Anderson – and then it was the Sabres taking over on the penalty kill. Yeah, the Gergensen's breakaway, and that was all him uh, to be able to produce that breakaway. And then Oposo coming down two-on-one with Eakin and just staying with it. I mean, uh, Matembo made the first save, and then Oposo just kind of shoveled the puck under him, and it just made it over the line. And now you you get a shorthanded goal out of it, and that's the game right there. 
uh, to, to be able to, the beginning when Montreal was dangerous and then take over that penalty kill when the penalty kill, quite honestly, hadn't gone really well. What did they give it up? Penalty? I think they'd given up a power play goal in seven out of eight mm-hmm. games. And, you know, so they were struggling, but wow. I mean, that penalty kill really changed the complexion of that game for them, uh, you know, to, to move forward. I wish that we could be talking about like three Zemgis Gergensen's goals, but we also aren't doing that. Uh, I mean, he hit the crossbar too. (laughs) Paul, I not only did he hit the crossbar, I I thought they were going to have to replace the net. Like the sound that that crossbar made when he went off of that shot, I mean, that was uh, he, another really good game from him, from Akposo. How much, how much does this team run? when its veterans are playing well. And I look at a guy like Kyle Oposo. When, when a Kyle Oposo plays well and Zemeckis Gergensen plays well, it feels like this team plays with a different level of confidence. Yeah, they do. And, and you know, that's his, uh, I think Brian Duff wrote his second career shorthanded goal. But, you know, look at look at the production now that, that you've gotten out of guys in the bottom six, which is something I've been harping on right. for how long. Yep, you have, for sure. You know, this was Kyle's 20th game. He's got six goals and 12 points. This is Gergensen's 20th game. He's got nine points. So, all right, multiply that by four. When you get to game 80, um, Gergensen's would have 16 goals. Uh Times four, Kyle would have 24 if they would keep the pace that they have now through the season. Now, even if, if Oposo doesn't get 24, if he gets 15, great. That's what I'm looking for, you know, from a bottom six guy. Contribute, you know, do your thing that makes you a good player, but contribute offensively too and get those contributions from those types of players. And, uh, and, and part of it is, you know, I said this at the beginning of the year, they've made this their team. Mm-hmm. Before, it's like, yeah, they're especially Kyle, he's a leader. You know, he's been a, a mentor for uh, Middlestat since he's been there. They're both from Minnesota. But Jack was also the captain, and he didn't want to step on his toes. So, you know, Kyle was careful to, you know, hey, this is Jack's team. I'll do what I need to do to help him. But... You know, I, I'm going to stay out of his way. Well, he doesn't have to stay out of Jack's way anymore. This is Gergensen's and his team. They're the two captains now, and they're they're running and they take that very seriously. And it, look at their play. I mean, it shows how seriously they take it. That you know, they feel they have to not only be the leader in the locker room, but lead by example. And uh, you know, I think they've really taken the bull by the horns. Paul, last thing for you, um, as this uh, game tonight against Detroit, I think another team that's playing probably a lot better than people had anticipated them coming into the season. I kind of you look at the league standings, Paul, and you know the Sabers are a, basically they're two points away from being dead square in the center of the league um, through the first quarter of the season, and. I guess I don't want to just brush over that because I I think when the season started, I know you'll get a good kick out of this, right? If you go to Twitter, uh, I mean, everything from one day to the next is, you know, one day the world's ending, the next day it's it's being being saved. No, that's not true. I know. That's not true. (laughs) As I said, I knew you'd enjoy this. Um, But... Like I guess through a quarter way of the season, I guess I would say that I'm really pleasantly surprised. Uh, now I, I know that over the last ten, it hasn't been exactly the prettiest, um, but I gotta say that I feel like I'm pre- pleasantly surprised how much 
this coach has been able to get out of this roster, considering they were more talented at the top last year, and they were, I mean, I can't even compare the two, Paul. I mean, they are vastly different-looking teams from an attitude, um, from a just a production. I mean, everything along the line. I, I, I guess from a quarterly report card here. What are your thoughts through this season? Are you as pleasantly surprised as you think like, like that I am? Are you, or maybe did you expect to see some more upward trends early on in the season? No, I, I think they're maybe a little bit ahead of where I thought they'd be. This is what they've shown us. You know, they've got the young kids in Rochester, but they want to develop them properly. What they've shown us is they don't have the depth to have the type of injuries that they've had so far. You know, they they expected Anderson and Lukanen to be their goaltenders going in. Lukanen wasn't up to it, and then Tokarski won the job. Tokarski, nice game, by the way, and he did. He also did a nice job in relief in the Bruin game. That kind of started him back on playing well again after he hadn't played well for a bit. You know, so in relief of Dell, he gave up that one late goal at the major penalty, but only had given up one goal in 40 minutes, and then he comes in and gives up one goal in 60 minutes against Montreal. So... You know, he seems like he's back on his game. But let's be honest, he's not a starting goaltender in the National Hockey League. So, you know, when Anderson was there and and he could be like get his start every, uh, you know, when he had the back-to-backs and that type of thing, it was working out pretty well for them. But, you know, I would think middle stat is you would be considered your number one center. Yoki Haru would be considered your maybe number two or three defenseman. You lost your number one goaltender. You lost your power play guy in Olison and the guy that you've talked about with me many times, how he's turned into a guy you can count on five on five, where he wasn't that player before. Uh, and he was out of the lineup for eight games. They're just not deep enough to be able to overcome mm-hmm. that. Right. And, and and there weren't just a few games. I mean, Olison missed eight. So far, Anderson's been out for over a month. Middlestats missed all but one game. Yoki Haru's only played four. You know, they, they just didn't have – they don't have the depth to be able to absorb those types of things, and it showed on the ice. Detroit, not, they didn't quite – the last game against Detroit – they already had blown a couple of leads on the West Coast. They won one of the games and lost one of the games in Anaheim and Los Angeles, blowing leads. But then here you are playing the Red Wings after you get back, and you're cruising. Hey, there was, what, about five, six minutes left in the game. I haven't looked it up yet. You're up 3-1. to one. They hadn't given up a scoring chance in over a period. That's how well they were playing. All of a sudden, one mistake, and this is kind of what started this goals and bunches thing. And next thing you know, a 3-1 lead, and you lose in overtime 4-3 to to the Red Wings, who are on a losing streak at that time, but since have played much better. They're kind of a team on the rise, too. So you kind of owe them, but that, that, that's kind of where this all started. Where And look at the points they've kind of thrown away Yep. with this, with this stuff, when these streaks just happened, where, you know, the Calgary game, bam, 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 you're, you're out of it. The Boston game, bam, 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 you're out of it. And it all happens in three minutes, between three and five minutes. And you play 55, you know, really competitive minutes, and all it takes is five of that for it to unravel. So go back and figure out the points that that this team has has thrown away with with those games where they appear to be looking really good, the Detroit game. The Los Angeles game, where they were ahead and, and, and wound up not getting any points out of that. The Bruin game, where all of a sudden that, that went. The Ranger game, 
the Flames game, uh, the last second goal by the Maple Leafs where you score four and, and you lose that game. I mean, we can just keep going down. Those are points that if they got half those points, add those in and see where they are in the standings. But again, it goes back to a lot of their key players just weren't there for them, and they're they're a new team, they're a young team, learn in some cases learning and find their way, and they just haven't been able to survive. Well, you know what's happened to them so far, but hey, here's an opportunity right now. Go win three games. You know you've won one. Go to Detroit. I mean Detroit is better, but they're not the Tampa Bay Lightning. Right. Right. Go, 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 go take, even if you get a loser point there and then come home on, on Monday and, and go beat Seattle. So you get the loser point and you, out of these three games, you're 2-0-1 and you picked up five out of six points. Now maybe you leave to, to go to Florida feeling a little bit better about yourselves. All right, Paul. Well, thank you so much, as always, for joining me on Saturday. I appreciate it. Enjoy the game tonight. Yes, no problem. Enjoy it. Take care. Will do. Paul Hamilton there on the Wester Hotline joining me to talk some Sabres. Going to talk some Bills next. Matt Perino, New York Upstate, joins me here on the Wester Hotline. That's coming up here on Sports Talk Saturday on WGR. All right, welcome back to Sports Talk Saturday here on WGR. I'm going right back to the Western Hotline now because New York Upstate and Shout Podcast host Matt Perino joins me on the Western Hotline. Matt, good morning to you, and uh, I uh, I apologize you didn't get to enjoy any Thanksgiving. Uh, that's uh, I don't know. Are you are you you and the wife on good terms right now? Because I feel like you get home from New Orleans and there's no Thanksgiving food for you left. I feel like that like she might be sleeping on the couch. <laughs> um, no, we did <laughs> all of Thanksgiving a first time in our house for our family by herself. So I, I really don't have any uh, any say in the matter. I guess a lot of people took take uh, leftovers home, which. This is, you know, Thanksgiving, the holiday season. Sure. We're, yeah, let's let's be giving. And sure. She's actually going to make a turkey, another turkey tonight, though. So, you know, I um, I appreciate that about you, Perino. You know, just the uh, the eternal optimist, uh, and not you know ripping apart your relatives for stealing all of your leftovers. I really that that is such an honorable thing for you to do and come on the show. And uh, I, I appreciate it because you you probably know like the wife turned you on to listen, and I appreciate that about you. Yeah, she's actually in the other room and can probably hear me. So let's. let's Moving on. Uh, So listen, buddy. um, I feel a little doomy and gloomy. Uh, And listen, I'm probably not the only one over the last 48 hours, especially yesterday after finding out um, about the news that I think we all sort of knew was coming, but was just sort of waiting on that official confirmation about the Trey White injury and it being an ACL and being done for the season. how have you recalibrated since learning of the news and knowing that Trey White won't return at any point this season about the rest of the season? How how have you sort of regained your ground and your bearings and say, okay, he's off the board. Here's what this looks like now. So first and foremost, like, you know, and I think I even in the moment yesterday tweeted this, like, you're not going to replace Tredavious White. I mean, he's arguably one of the best five th- – three, four, five best cornerbacks in the NFL. So luckily for the Bills, they're they're pretty deep and they're and they're really good defensively when they're healthy. 
and I think that there's options to replace him. And I think Dane Jackson comes in here with a huge opportunity. I think, you know, going into this season, if you remember, and most Bills fans do, there was a a lot of people that wanted him to get the nod over Levi Wallace, and Levi Wallace was obviously able to hold him off again this year. But you get a you'll, you'll get a large sample size and a look at him now. And I think what you know what this comes down to in in maybe where the Bills could have been better prepared for a loss like this is had they been able to bring in a big time pass rusher uh, in some way uh, since March. And I know that that's easier said than done. The teams don't necessarily want to give those away and. Now, there was a couple options out there, but the Bills didn't really have financially the means to go out and throw the kitchen sink at a Matthew Junod, who's now leading the NFL, or near the top in sacks. And it's funny, going into last week, I was talking about him uh, on a show, uh, having being at 10.5 sacks, and I think that was the, the number of all the Bills edge rushers combined at that point in the season. And so that's where I look first and foremost to you know, kind of cushion the blow of losing a guy like Tre'Davious White is you need more up front. We saw yesterday. You know, I know this isn't a good New Orleans or uh, yeah Thursday Thursday now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, New Orleans is a bad offense with all the injuries that they have. I mean, that might be the worst offense in the NFL. So you can't glean too much from it. But the the constant pressure that Ed Oliver was able to provide, like that was you know he might be starting to stumble onto something here, and that's huge. It's a huge development for this defense. If they can just get some production from some of these other younger pass rushers, whoever wants to step up on a given week, AJ Epines in one week, Greg Russo another week, Afi Obata who's done a little bit on the outside and the inside, you get Star back healthy, and you can get more consistent performance up front. That could help. But I also think this shifts. You know, the, you know th- this Bill's identity that we've talked about week after week after week, what is it, right? It's kind of been the defense for the most part. Outside of the Colts game and, you know, the Tennessee game, which was a little bit up and down, this defense has been kind of the identity. And I, I think now they got to go back to this offense being the identity, and they got things still to figure out even after a good game against the Saints. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think about this defense, too, and it's tough because I feel like I don't want to just turn the page entirely on the New Orleans game and say it doesn't mean anything to me because of the quality of the opponent. Because I think on the defensive side of the ball, the Bills did some things against a very good defense that was just missing Marcus Davenport, who is a good player, but in by no means like the make-or-break player for that defense. That is one of the best run defenses in the league, and I think the Bills found some success on the ground. I know that you know Breida and Singletary each only end up averaging about 2.9 yards per carry in that game, I think there are some things you could take away from the run game that you liked in that game against, and obviously scoring 31 points and kind of doing whatever they wanted all afternoon against that defense, I think was probably a, a positive and something you could take away from that game that that maybe this this offense is finding its way and getting back on track. But the defensive side of things, really hard for me to to, to find or take anything out of that game, right? Yeah, and you, you make a great point there, especially early on in the game. I wouldn't focus so much on the yards per carry as much as I'd focus on maybe three to six runs in that game that really kept drives going or established the run on drives that, you know, looking at the box score and and looking at the totality of everything, it doesn't really tell the whole story. And there was actually one that, you know, they went to Devin Singletary in the second half where I feel like Brita came in early, had a couple nice runs, and then was kind of shut down a little bit. They went back to Singletary, and he had – what I think outside of that 46-yarder against the Dolphins, now you've been his best run of the year, where I almost feel like he's maybe you know studying a little bit of what's where Matt Breida's had success, and I haven't seen him hit a hole like that all year. It was like a 15-yard run. He got you know he made one cut, shot it upfield. 
broke a tackle, which is what I think Devin Singletary does, and why I think that you don't need Devin Singletary and Zach Moss active on the same week, because I think they kind of do the same things. And, and we saw what Matt Breida brings to the, to the position with his touchdown late in the game. I mean, when the ball's in Breida's hands at this point, you know, you, you figure something good is, has the chance to happen. And so they've landed on something there. And the way that this offense moved the ball yesterday, I think the way that they ran the ball, that's what you want. That's what we've been talking about all year. It's not necessarily balanced. It's not 50-50. But be more effective when you do run it, and I think that that un- unlocked the passing game. And I was also, I thought it was a good development that they were able to have some adversity there in the first half, recover, and then you know get back on their horse and, and have some success. But again, I, there's, a, there's a little bit of a caveat there. This was a team that was never going to threaten offensively. You could tell from the very first quarter that this same team was going to score a lot of points. I want to see it in a game where the other team is starting to put on the pressure with their offense. I'm not necessarily even sure that that's going to end up being the, the, the Patriots. We'll see. Um, but, you know, there's there's still some questions to answer. They're going to have a chance to do it with a couple of opponents in the next couple of weeks. Matt Prino here on the Western Hotline. And, and, and I guess looking at a bigger picture from losing Trey White, Matt, like where do you – where does your confidence about this team's, I guess, window here go? Like have you – you know, I asked you sort of how how did you recalibrate? How did you sort of reassess where you are with this football team with this injury to Trey White? Like, do you is this still a Super Bowl roster without Trey White? I guess is the question, the long and short of it. Yes, because I think that they have the pieces to be a Super Bowl offense, and you know that's one of the things all season that as as kind of gloomy as things have been at stages, I always think that, I always thought that they had the pieces, but it's about getting hot at the right time, and I think. The fact that this hasn't all come together yet on, on really either side of the ball, you can make that argument because of what happened in that Colts game and, and the Titans for the defense, that they, they still have, you know, their, they can make the argument their best football is in front of you. And that's what I think even Trey White was talking about last year, you know, when things were going so well for the Bills, you know, they got off to that hot start, they started running off wins. And, you know, he said, yeah, this is all well and good and this is all great, but you got to be playing your best football in December and January. And I think that, I think we could all go back and look at last year's sample size in its entirety and say that the Bills weren't playing their best football in January. Uh, you know, the defense had a good game against Baltimore. They did nothing to win against Indianapolis, and then the, the wheels fell off against the Chiefs. you got to hope that they're working towards something, especially with this offense. And, and there was a, a pretty uh, – I, I just – there was some, you know, passion in a conversation that Emmanuel Sanders had with Josh Allen on the sideline. And I asked Sean McDermott about it, and, Kind of, you know, you didn't want to necessarily answer that specifically. But, you know, there's, you can see the frustration at times with what's gone wrong with the offense. But I think what happened yesterday was that, you know, those conversations eventually, you'd hope, are going to lead to execution, which did, uh, you know, against the Saints. And we'll see, how, we'll see how it plays out. I think having a couple of tough tests against the Patriots twice, the Panthers have a really good defense, the, Patri- or the, um, the Bucks have a good defense, They'll be battle-tested, and they'll be able to answer some of these questions for the playoff start. Yeah, and I think you look at the other side of this, Matt. I think the pressure may not really truly be on a Dane Jackson or a player that has to replace 
Tredavious White. I think the pressure actually goes back into the offense because I think it's safe to say that the defense really propelled this football team to where they are. And I, I not that I believe that all of a sudden you take Trey White out of the lineup and now the defense won't be able to win you football games. But this schedule gets notably difficult, more difficult through the rest of the stretch here. You've got two matchups against the Patriots. You've got a matchup against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I believe in like that matchup, you might really feel the loss of Tredavious White. But I look at the offense as being the unit that's going to have to pick this up. Like They're going to have to get back to the team that's scoring 30 points every game because I, I, I think asking this defense to remain the, the number one scoring defense in the league and that's your recipe for victory, I, 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 I don't think that, that that's something they can continue to rely on week in and week out. I agree. Um, I'd say that there's still a ton, there are a ton of playmakers in this defense, and I think you know having Trey White allows everybody else to kind of raise their level of play. I think knowing that there's a shutdown guy on one side of the field, now that that's not there, it's going to be interesting to watch over the next couple of weeks, like how teams choose to attack their defense. And you know, so often like Levi Wallace, who I think has had a great season, even Leslie Frazier talks about it that you know a lot of times they you know, quarterbacks key in on his side of the field because they don't want to take their chances against Trey White. And without that, that kind of opens things up. Now, I think that they have playmakers, especially like Taron Johnson, who's had a big season, Matt Milano, guys that as long as they're healthy in, in the lineup, they're going to make plays. And I think Dane Jackson's scrappy enough. Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer on the back end. Like, Could there be a drop-off? Yeah, I don't think it's going to be as dramatic as, as people think. I still think that they're going to have some pieces, you know, especially once they get comfortable playing together. That I'll be, I'll be interested to see how it goes. Could you give up a couple more big plays? Probably. I'd expect that probably more than more than anything. But I don't think we're going to see like a huge identity shift uh, with, with White out of the lineup just because of how much more talent on the, especially in the back seven that there is. But I think it does come down to the offense. Like you, you paid. I, I don't like this argument that there, you know, there has been a, a small step back in Josh Allen's game this year. I think that there's you can't argue against that. But I also don't like the argument like you know. $258 million, like, go out there and do everything on every game and be perfect and win every game. I mean, that's just not realistic. But I do think that when the, when the games get tighter and you need big plays, like, so much we've heard Josh Allen talk about, like, you know, wanting those moments and, you know, being a big fan of Kobe Bryant and the Mamba mentality. And you've got to step up and rise to that occasion to make plays in those moments. He did that against the Saints, and to your point, a good defense. But he's got to continue to do it. And the ta- – the tests are only going to get tougher now because it's a pretty decent end of the season stretch here. And then the playoffs, and this is a really good AFC. I think the, the, the seven teams that make it, the parity that, that, that's there, it's going to be pretty unbelievable. I mean, you could start, even if you, get, even if you land the two seed or the one seed, you could, you could start with the Bengals who, you know, they come in here and their offense can score with you, you know, blow for blow. You're going to need Josh Allen on this offense to, to be ready to answer the call. And, Week in and week out, can they do it? And that might be a question. All right, Prino. Uh, I appreciate you, brother. Thanks, as always, for hopping on on a Saturday. Enjoy. Kick your feet up. Enjoy uh, your turkey tonight. You des- you've earned it and you deserve it. Uh, and uh, watch a little football without uh, you know having to work on a Sunday. Enjoy it, man. I'm looking forward to that red zone. We're going to light that thing all the way up. Absolutely. Leftover turkey. And, you know, I got the feeling you and I – might get real petty online later, like right around 3.45, 4 o'clock, if a certain Ohio State team. Uh, you know, we have we have a friend, John Scott, who is a bit of, uh, would you say just like a lukewarm Ohio State fan? Just like kind of like a borderline casual Ohio State fan? Yeah, I got to be on. I got to be careful with that because I got, I got real hot takes about <laughs> – um, 
people that you know didn't go to a school but root for the school like it's like their favorite team and yeah that's john scott and but listen i don't want to go too hard on my buddy here because dayton had a big win uh, yesterday hoops uh i want to give him all the all the time to celebrate that and uh yeah (laughs) i'm 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 not gonna be careful i'm just i have him on next so i'm gonna make sure he he gets a good uh, he 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 gets. I'm just gonna rub it in a little bit, and, and I'm gonna I'm gonna let him set the stage. I'm gonna let him get over cocky. I'm gonna let him get his takes on the air, so that I could use him against him for later. Because that's that's that. that's what professionals do. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Have a great weekend. Appreciate you, Matt Perino there on the Western Hotline. Gonna take a timeout on the other side. Uh, I gotta get a quick break in, and then we've got John Scott of Spectrum News coming up next here. That's on WGR. All right, just get a get a quick in and out here. Good radio, you know. Two back to back segments of commercials. People love that kind of stuff. Got good commercials. We got good jingles. They spend long time, hard work, hardworking people making them. I'm gonna take a time out and then when we come back, got John Scott Spectrum News. Talk a little Ohio State. Talks more bills. That's up next here on WGR.